Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. In the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good evening. If we've never met, my name is Brady. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mosaic. But uh, the most important thing that you can know about me is I am an imperfect follower of Jesus. Um, and on my best day, on my best day, I am stumbling towards Jesus. I say that a lot, and I say that a lot because uh, two reasons. One, I need the reminder, uh, because it's very easy for me to begin to think that there are other things that are more important about me. Uh, and the second reason is because I want so badly for that to be the first thing that people think about uh, when they see me, is that, oh, that's, that's an imperfect follower of Jesus. Um, I think it's easy to stand up on a, on a stage and to have the perception that I am someone different than I am. And it's so important. We've got to fight against that. Um, but I mean, I tell you what, I'm so grateful to get to be here tonight. I was just reminded, I was having a conversation with someone in the back. And um, I remember, oh goodness, 14, 15 years ago, I remember when I first uh, felt called by God to be a pastor and to teach. And I just, I wanted so badly to be able to teach and no one would give me a chance uh, until Mosaic, which I'm so thankful Mosaic uh, uh, is, is incredible. Uh, but I just remember how badly I wanted to be able to do this thing that God had put on my heart. There was just this, this passion that I could not quench. I couldn't put it down. I couldn't ignore it. I wanted so badly because it was from God and there seemed to be no opportunities. And so to get to stand here 15 years later and have the opportunity to get to share God's word uh, with God's community, just, it, it blesses me to no end. So thank you. Um, I was thinking uh, today, uh, there, there are a number of different conditions that a human can have where your body doesn't do what you tell it to do. Uh, when I was growing up, we had a guy in our high school, he had Tourette's syndrome. And I don't know if you guys know much about Tourette's syndrome, uh, but there are a number of different things that, that could happen within Tourette's syndrome. But what it is, is you will have some sort of involuntary action, whether it's you know, movement of your hand or your head or your leg or words that you're saying. But just think about that for a second. You, you're sitting there, you're standing there, 
and, and you're wanting one thing to happen, all of a sudden your body does something completely different. I mean, at the very least, that could be awkward, maybe embarrassing, uh, but odd to have that experience where your body doesn't do what you tell it to do. I, I, now, I'm guessing that most, if not all of us, don't really know what that's like. And, and you have to think about, like, like, what would I do if that happened? There was another one uh, called, I just found this out today, alien hand syndrome. So your hand starts doing movements that, and, and, and you don't, sometimes you don't even know it, but, but then when you want it to stop, it doesn't stop. It just, it's just going on like that. And there's another one. Um, oh, th- oh, this one would be awful. Uh, urinary, urinary inconstance. I think that's how you say it. That's where you just, you can't help it. You just go to the bathroom. Just all of a sudden you start going to the bathroom. Like you'd be sitting there right now and you're just going to the bathroom in pants. Like that would be awful. But, but I was thinking about those things and I was thinking about if, if I had some sort of scenario, some sort of um, thing going on with my body where a part of my body didn't do what I wanted it to do, right? There's this incongruence between my brain and my arm or my leg or my bladder or my mouth. What I wanna know is how bad would it have to get before I cut it off? Just think about it, just for a second. Just imagine, like what, how bad would the scenario have to be before you say, I can no longer have this part of my body a part of my body? I, mean, I would think it's gotta be pretty bad because I mean, I'm a big fan of the parts of my body. Even though I look at my body and it doesn't look like Chris Hemsworth's, like that, you know, it, it, that's okay. But I still like, I use my fingers and I use my toes. I use my legs. I use my arms. I use my head. Like I, I, I use, I, I think I make use of all the parts of my body. And so for me to actually think about and consider cutting a part of my body off, like that, that seems like I must have some great distress for that to happen. Uh, my dad, uh, he's had both of his legs amputated. And I, I still remember five years ago, five years ago, he had both his legs. Um, but what happened is he uh, got this condition uh, called neuropathy. And what neuropathy can do is it can begin to restrict the blood flow from your extremities. And so in his legs, the blood flow wasn't getting down into his feet. And I remember it started in his toe and he got a, he got a cut on his toe. And then that cut on his toe got infected. And then the infection just wouldn't clear up. And he got on antibiotics and it wouldn't clear up. And he, he went to the doctor with stronger antibiotics. It, it wouldn't clear up. He began to put his foot into an oxygen chamber so he could get more oxygen to his foot so maybe it would heal. He began to like lay in and spend hours in an oxygen chamber so that his foot, his toe could heal. Because the realization was either his toe heals or He's got to cut it off because the infection is starting to move up. It started at the tip of his toe and it started to move up down to the entire bit of his toe. And so finally, and, and let me tell you, I, I can't even tell you the, the excruciating pain that he was going through just for his toe. And so finally got to the point a few months later that he was willing to cut off his toe, but it's too late. It was too late. The infection had already gone too high. And so he had to get his leg cut off just below the knee. And I mean, just think about that. How, how much your world would change 
if you no longer had the use of both of your legs. And I just remember that wrestle that he had because he had to make the decision, do I cut off my toe or do I not? Do I try and keep letting it heal? Do I try and do more things so that it will heal? Or do I cut it off? Because if I cut it off, it's done, right? That's a big decision. And so I want you to just, just keep that thought in your mind. How bad would something have to be in your body that you would be willing to cut it off? Now, as we look at the passage in James... It's really interesting. Let's read it one more time. It says this, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Wise. Who is wise and understanding among you? Just think about that for a second. I'm not gonna get you to raise your hand, but, but if I were to ask that question, who is wise and understanding among us here? Do, do you think that would apply to you? You think, well, I've got some wisdom. I've got some understanding. I'm a young adult, and I'm an adult, but I'm younger than adults who are older than that and would be classified as, I guess, older adults or normal, regular, I don't know, but I'm a young adult, right? But I'm not, I'm not an adolescent. I'm not a baby. I've got some years of experience. Who's wise and understanding among you? Does that apply to you? I wonder what the qualities or the criteria are for determining if you are wise according to James. He says this, by his or her good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When you think about wisdom, what comes to your mind? What do you think? Shout it out. What comes to your mind when you think about wisdom? Fear of God. Fear of God, okay. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. That makes sense. I like it. What else? Experience. experience. Yeah. With experience comes wisdom, hopefully. What else? Jason Ruiz. Jason Ruiz. Yeah. Yeah. That deep voiced man. Yeah, absolutely. Got lots of wisdom. What else? Daniel. Daniel. Yeah, yeah, because Darius wanted to, to interpret the dream and Daniel said, all that belongs to God, but I believe that God will give me the interpretation. Yeah, that's really good. Daniel had wisdom, but he knew that wisdom comes from God. I love that. Is wisdom, in your mind, do you think is wisdom more about brilliance and experience or is wisdom more about behavior? Just think about that. Like when you first think about wisdom, does it, think, does it seem like it's more up here or is it more out here? What I think, what I say, or what I do? 
Let's, let's, let's have a show of hands. All of those who think it has more to do with my brain, raise your hand. Okay, okay, good. Hey, I'm so proud of your bravery. How many people think it has more to do with your actions? What you do? Okay, got some people to do that. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. There must be some reason why there's a number of people on both sides. I wonder what James thinks. Now, if you could only use one word to describe, only use one word to describe what wisdom should lead to, right? What should wisdom lead to? Think about that. One word, what the result of wisdom should be. Think about, okay, if you got wisdom, it should lead to, or if someone has wisdom, it should lead to what? Smart choices. Smart choices. I hope so. What else? Life. What else? Peace. Humility. Was it? Yeah. So keep that word in mind. What you think wisdom should lead to. I mean, those are all really good things. Let's do this. Let's go back. Let's go back to last week. I don't know if you guys remember last week. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember that. Um, but we, we put up that first slide. This is, uh, this is last week, the end of last week, what we learned about in James. It says, but no human can tame the what? The tongue. Can anybody, anybody feel that like, like legit? Anybody feel like they live with their foot in their mouth? I, I get that. Okay. Yeah. Nobody can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. James wasn't super hopeful about our mouths. With it, now here's why, here's why. He says, with it, we bless the Lord and Father and with it, we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, it's evil because we can say, praise the Lord. God, you're amazing. God, glory, all glory be to you for now and forever. And you are an idiot. Are you kidding me? You can't even drive. Go the speed limit at least, right? Don't take up both lanes. Who parks in two spots? Come on, right? How in the world, James is like, how? I don't understand. How can you say, praise be the Lord, and then you're an idiot? You're the worst. So I, I, don't, I don't understand. That's why my conclusion is the tongue is evil. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. And then he gives some examples. And he says, let's just look at the, just the logic of it. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? What do you think? No, right? If it, it's a fresh water spring, what's not gonna come out of it? James like, seems pretty logical to me. What about this next one? Can a fig tree, my brothers or sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? What do you think? No. If it's producing figs, what is it? Fig tree. Makes sense, right? If it's producing grapes, what is it? Grapevine. Yeah, grape tree or whatever, you know, it's, it could be. Um, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he says, let's just, 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 I just want you to see when something is something, it produces the thing that it is. 
So how in the world could a follower of Jesus praise God and then curse the people created in God's image by God himself? Makes no sense. And now we get into, and now he starts talking about wisdom. It's so important that we don't just talk about wisdom in a vacuum, that we talk about it in context. So it's in the context of the tongue that makes no sense because people praise God and then curse people. So in that context, he says, okay, let's think about wisdom. Who, wait a second, who's wise and understanding among you? Now, I find it helpful sometimes when I'm studying scripture to kind of like break it down a little bit. So I've got, I've got a couple slides, I think, that do that just a little bit. So, so this one, this is just the passage of scripture, but I've kind of formatted it in a way where you can kind of see the flow of logic that he's got going on. And he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. Now, I highlighted those because conduct, show, and works are all kind of similar, right? They, 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 they're maybe synonyms, which is, it's my favorite flavor, right? Conduct, show, and works. What, what might be some other words that, that are similar to those? Actions, deeds, performance. Okay, so just real quick, and I, I mean, Let's not remember who raised their hand for which one, but these are, are these brain words or are these body words? These are body words, okay? So James, he starts talking about wisdom and the first thing he says is body stuff, which is, I mean, before I was studying this passage, I would have said that when I think about wisdom, it's brain. I, I totally would have been all about that. But James seems to think that wisdom has a whole lot to do with what you do. By his good conduct, let him show his works. And then, and this is huge, we're gonna come back to this, but in the meekness of wisdom. What's another word uh, for meekness? What's what might be related to meekness? What? Sal submission? Yeah, humility? Yes, it's a good one. Let's stick with that one, humility, okay? Let's move on. But, so he's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to show, I want you to demonstrate. I want, I want, want it, your wisdom to come out of your body, right? And I want it to come out of your body in a certain way, in humility. Humility. And this can be huge as we come back to it. But, however, so, so now he's talking about something different, right? First he's talking about wisdom, and now he's just saying, okay, but, so not wisdom, but if you have bitter jealousy, Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So these things seem to be in direct contrast to wisdom. Wisdom should come out of here, right? It may start up in here, but it should come out of here. And the opposite is things that have to do with jealousy, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast. Now that, that was kind of confusing, but if you look at the context, I think he's talking about boasting about your godliness boasting about your Christianity because he said, how can out of the same mouth come praise for God and then also cursing your neighbor, cursing your brother, your sister, right? Someone who is a part of the church family. How can those both be? I just don't understand. It doesn't make sense. There's no way. And so he's like, if what's going on is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, the cursing of my brothers and my sisters, don't boast about your godliness. Don't be all like, 
Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. You're the worst. He says, if you're going to say you're the worst, don't praise Jesus. Right? Don't do that. Don't boast about your godliness if you've got selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in your heart. He says that is being false to what is true. Because this needs to match this. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, right? It is earthly. It's unspiritual. And then it's what? When we praise God with our mouth and we curse our neighbor, that is what? Whoa. That's, that's bold. That is bold. Now, there's a lot to talk about there, but I think James wants us to realize how, how much it does not make sense for followers of Jesus to praise God and curse their brothers and their sisters, to have bitter jealousy in their heart towards their brothers and their sisters, to have selfish ambition, wanting me to be raised up to the point where you are lowered, right? Not caring about you and your good, but me and what will amplify me and make me look good. And people will praise me and people will love me and I don't care about you. And if I've got to step on your head or your shoulders to get to the place where people look at me and love me and praise me, then so be it. He said, that is demonic. That is of the enemy. That's not of God. That is not wisdom. It's foolishness. Let's go to the next one. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be what? Disorder. Now, if you think about an organization, is disorder good? No, no, it's not good at all, right? If you're trying to be organized and there's disorder and chaos, that's not gonna be a good thing. That's gonna, businesses that have all kinds of disorder do not succeed, Right? If you have something that's supposed to be united and there's disorder among it, that's no good. And then he goes on to say, and every vile practice, right? In case you didn't think it was bad enough, every vile practice. But this is, but this is huge. See, the beginning isn't every vile practice. The beginning is that doubleness. Praise God, curse you. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. That's the beginning. Disorder is the beginning. And what's the end? Every vile practice. See, disorder doesn't necessarily seem that bad. It's like, oh, it's fine. My room's not that clean. My life's not that organized. My calendar's, it's all right. It's fine. But within the organism of the body of Christ, Disorder is the beginning and the end is every vile practice. This is serious. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above, and I've got in parentheses what a lot of these Greek words mean. It's first pure. This word means holy or set apart, right? It's something set apart for God or set apart by God. It's first, wisdom from above is first a thing that God does that sets us apart, that's unique, that's different. Then it's peaceable. 
What this means is conducive to a harmonious relationship. The, the, first, the, the first thing is it's holy. The second thing is it's, it's something that is conducive to a harmonious relationship. Wisdom is from above. Wisdom from above is something that is conducive to a harmonious relationship. It's, it's then peaceable. No, sorry. It is then gentle, not insisting on every right. It's courteous. It's tolerant. That's what this Greek word means for gentle. Courteous, tolerant, not insisting on every right. Now, now think about that. Have you ever had, had your rights stepped on? Is it fun? No, it's not great, is it? And, and, and I get the feeling and the desire to want to make sure that my rights are protected and that you don't infringe upon my rights. But wisdom from above doesn't insist on my own rights being protected. Does that sound very wise to you? Seems like I'm gonna get walked on a bit. Then it's open to reason. I love this one. Willing to be persuaded. Willing to be persuaded. It's full of mercy and good fruits. Pity, compassion, it's impartial, not divisive. Divi what, what is divisive? Stirring up division, right? Wanting to cause division, wanting to cause disunity, wanting to cause disorder. It's not that. Wisdom from above is not that. It doesn't do that. Wisdom from above is sincere. It's without hypocrisy. The word hypocrite in the Greek is a word that means mask wearer. It was the term for an actor. It was someone who would act. And in that day and age, you didn't like use your own face on the stage. You would have a mask that was either happy or sad. If you're playing a sad person, you would have a sad face. If you're playing a happy person, you'd have a smiley face, right? And, and, and a hypocrite was a mask wearer. It's just someone who on the outside was different than on the inside. The word sincere, it is a, it's, it's Latin uh, that, that comes from without wax, and, and what that means is you, if you had a pot, like if you're walking through the marketplace and you're trying to find like a really nice vase and then you see the price tag and it's super expensive and you think, oh, that must be a really quality vase. The way that you would tell is you'd take it and you'd lift it up to the sun and the sun would shine through. And if there were no cracks that had filled in with wax, it would be opaque. But if the person had cracked the vase and said, man, I spent a lot of time in this vase. I want to trick someone into spending a lot of money for it. I'm going to fill in the cracks with wax and I'm going to trick them into thinking it's actually a good vase. And so a good vase would be one without wax, right? Sincere. And then this last one, the result, the result. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace a harvest of righteousness. Doesn't that sound great? Anybody want to harvest, have an entire harvest of righteousness? Not just like one little petal of righteousness, but entire harvest of righteousness in your own life, in your relationships, in your church community, a harvest of righteousness. How do you sow a harvest of righteousness? It's sown in what? It's sown in peace by those who make peace. 
It's sown in peace by those who make peace. So what's the difference in your mind between keeping the peace and making the peace? Keeping the peace and making peace. Because they can be very similar. Right? You can do whatever it takes to like keep the peace. Just make sure like there's no, you know, no difficulty. No one gets angry. No one's frustrated. We'll just, I'll just do whatever it takes. Just make sure peace happens. But making peace sometimes means you kind of go in to the scenario and, and it may stir up a little bit of difficulty at first in order for there to be real peace, genuine peace, wholeness, or what the Jewish people would call, call was shalom, right? Where everything is right in the world and the way it's supposed to be peace. A harvest of righteousness comes in peace by those who make peace. Peace is pretty important. Now, now let's go back to the idea of the analogy of a body that's not functioning properly. You know that the, the church is described as a body. We, we are described as a body. Paul says, we're the body of Christ, right? And we're all different members of it, right? We've got fingers and toes and fingernails. We've got belly buttons and we've got, you know, armpit hairs and we've got, you know, ears and eyes and nose. Like just, just all in this room, right? We just, it's like one body. It's not multiple bodies. It's one singular body. One body. We are the body of Christ. What would it take? What would it take for a part of the body to be such that we might cut it off. We might split. Well, in the history of Christianity, not much. It's postulated that there are over 30,000 different denominations within Christianity. 30,000, that's a big number. That's because at some point, the church split and then split and then split and split, 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 split. How do you think that makes God feel? When he looks at his church and there's just division everywhere. I imagine it breaks his heart. So here's my question. How do we pursue unity when there are important things that we disagree upon? What's, what's, what's an important thing that Christians disagree upon? Spiritual gifts, yeah, like are the supernatural gifts alive and active today or are they not, right? You have cessationist churches, you have churches that are into it, churches that practice it, right? You got a number of different scenarios there. What else do, do Christians split on? What? Free will, right? do, do humans have any sort of free will or um, do they not? Do they have none? God's a puppeteer, like, I, I don't, like how does that work, right? What else? Once saved, always saved. Can you lose your salvation or not? What else? Eschatology. Eschatology, right. Yeah. Is Jesus coming back once or is he coming back twice? 
Like, is he doing a flyby or, or is it just once? Like, I mean, I mean, but we, like, we split over these things. Like, church is split over these things. How do you know? It was, so again? Selfish ambition, yeah, absolutely. That's probably more what we're splitting over. And it might be like, we might say it's this, you know, theological thing, but a lot of times it's really what's in the heart is selfish ambition. But it seems like, it seems like our priorities are correct thinking on certain aspects of biblical teaching and then unity, Right? Otherwise we wouldn't split, right? If unity was above, let's make sure that we have all of the right answers, then we would stay together even if we began to disagree. And I would say there's, you know, there's, there's a little give and take. There are certain issues that we think are more important than others and unity probably falls in between somewhere where if maybe we disagreed upon whether we sing hymns or we sing modern worship songs. Maybe we could stay together in, in that. Maybe we could still be unified, but there are definitely things that, that we split over. But, but James, when he's talking about what wisdom is, it's almost exclusively unity words. Wisdom from above is almost exclusively unity words. So how do we do that? Well, I think one of the things we can do is we can take a cue from Jesus. And when you look at the way that Jesus had conversations with people, Nicodemus, uh, the woman at the well, it was incredible. It was incredible. He like did this list from James, right? He was interested in what they had to say. He listened to them. He cared about their good over trying to, you know, bang the truth into their brain. He was patient with them. He didn't force them into his way of thinking. It's incredible. I, I love reading the stories of Jesus, especially his interactions with people. They're incredible. They're incredible. Because I think about how would I want to be treated by Jesus? And it's like, like that. That's how I would want to be treated. I think one of the keys I think there are two major keys to think through. Okay, how do we begin to actually do this? And, and one of them is at the very beginning, he's talked about wisdom and he said, in the what of wisdom rhymes with weakness. In the meekness. And we said that is related to which word? Humility. You know what humility says? Are you ready for this? I might be wrong. Humility says, I, I, I might be wrong. Okay, and, and I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I would love to raise your hands. Who here has ever been wrong before? Yeah? I, I don't know what that's like, so I'd love for you to share with me what, that, what that's like. Okay, so universally, we've all been wrong before. Who here believes that it's possible there are things that they're wrong about now? One of my favorite quotes from Dallas Willard is he says, I'm convinced that I'm wrong about 20% of what I believe. I just don't know which 20%. Now, Dallas Willard was a brilliant philosopher and theologian, 
wrote many books, was a professor, taught many different people. And he said, he's convinced that he's wrong about things. He just doesn't know what he was wrong about because if he knew what he was wrong about, he'd change his opinion, right? So the very first thing, it's so important, is that we approach our conversations with one another with humility. Like, I don't know what it is in this room we disagree upon. I'm guessing there's a number of things that you disagree with me upon. And if I come to the conversation and you come to the conversation, both of us thinking, I think I'm right, but I could be wrong. There's that humility that enters into that conversation. Secondly, James says, remember that, that, that word that said, um, willing to be persuaded? I think I'm right. I, I've, I've thought through it. I, I've studied it. I've prayed through it. But, but I might be wrong. And I'm willing to be convinced. If God through you can, you know, has a, a good argument and improves it, like I'm actually willing to change my opinion. This is not, these are not qualities we typically see in our world today, right? Hey, I'm, I might be wrong and I'd love for you to convince me otherwise. I mean, I, I really think what I think is right. I really think what I think is true. I, I'm someone who loves to read. I'm someone who loves to study. So, so when I form an opinion, typically it's pretty well thought through. Typically it's pretty well studied. Typically I've had a lot of different conversations in my own head, if not with other people before I will form an opinion on something. So I feel pretty good about the opinions I form, but if I'm wise and it's wisdom from above, then I'm willing to say, but I could be wrong. And I'm willing for you to convince me otherwise. Man, can you imagine the conversation we could have about whatever it is? It'd be incredible. Hey, if I'm interested in you and I'm interested in your opinion and I'm interested in your backstory, I'm interested in how that came about and we have a really good conversation, you get to know me and my story, how I came to my opinion, we can have a great conversation. And here's the beauty in that is even if we don't come to an agreement on the issue, you know what happened? Relationally, we came closer. And if unity is that important, then we won. What, what would it be like if your generation began to fix the problems that my generation just lived with. That my generation in many ways continued to perpetuate. What if in your generation, rather than talk about church splits, we began to talk about church reunifications. We began to talk about church healings. Hey, did you hear about that church healing? Did you hear about that church reunification? Did you hear about first and second Baptists becoming just Baptists? right? Did you hear about that non-denominational churches became some sort of denomination? Could you, could you imagine what the story in the world would be if Christians began to unify, began to love one another, care about one another so greatly that we began to unify rather than divide? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Did he say, they will know you are my disciples by the way you get all the answers correct? 
Nope. I think he was saying, they will know you are my disciples, not by how you get every answer correct, how you convince everyone of your opinion, but how you love one another in spite of the fact that you disagree. That, because in the world, we divide when we don't agree. That's what the world does. What if we had something different? What if we demonstrated something different? What if we put on display our works, our conduct, our deeds? What if we put on display the wisdom from above that unifies by being humble, by loving the other person, considering their good greater than convincing them of your opinion? That would be something. That would be significant. We might see people come to know Jesus we might see people saying, you guys must be disciples of Jesus. Why do you think that? Because the way that you love one another, even though you don't agree on everything. Could you imagine the radical, transformative power, the uh, wisdom from above unity has? That would be something. And I believe that your generation can do something that we have not been able to do. I believe that your generation can be so fed up with all of the selfish ambition, all of the bitter jealousy, all of the splitting of hairs and splitting of churches and say enough is enough. We're gonna be Jesus followers, no matter what it takes. I'm gonna love that person across the table from me, no matter what it takes. I'm gonna love my neighbor. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna care. I'm gonna be interested. And I'm gonna say, we are gonna be unified. If all we can unify around is Jesus, if all we can do is unite at the feet of the cross, then we're gonna unite at the feet of the cross. 10 years ago, my brother became Catholic. Before that, we were best friends, best friends. He, he's so brilliant. He's, he's incredible. I love my brother. But it, it began to put a big wedge in between our relationship. And let me tell you, it was heart-wrenching. It was heart-wrenching. But in God's kindness, in his grace, my brother, and probably more so than me, but, but we decided that we weren't gonna let that get in between us. That if all we could do is unite at the feet of Jesus, we're gonna unite at the feet of Jesus. If all we can do is kneel at the cross, we're gonna kneel at the cross. But we are gonna refuse to be divided because whatever is different about us, whatever is not conducive about our relationship, the things that we think about Christianity, it's not bad enough to cut off a limb. It's not, it's not bad enough to cut off a limb. And how we do that exactly, I have no idea within the greater church, but I believe that y'all will figure it out, guided by God's spirit, because enough is enough. It's time to live by the wisdom from above and demonstrate the radical unifying love of our savior who said, I'm gonna give my life for those who not only disagree with me, but wanna kill me because I love them. 
sounds a lot like taking up your cross like Jesus did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so, 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 so much that you were willing to give your life for me. Even though I disagreed with you vehemently, thank you that you were willing to give your life for us. Even though we were rebels and enemies, God, thank you that you would be willing to save people who disagree upon the smallest things, who turn molehills into mountains and divide. Thank you that you would be willing to die for people who praise you and curse one another. Lord, we ask that by the transforming work of your spirit inside of us, you would make us one. That you would give us the wisdom from above that is meek, that is humble, that cares about the other more than we care about ourselves. And that by the power of your spirit, God, make your church unified. God, begin to build bridges begin to heal wounds. And I pray that you would do it through us in the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you wanna hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.